I'm Mark. And I'm Harris. And we'd like to welcome you to Behind the Gorilla, a podcast where we delve into the wild, wacky, and crazy side of professional wrestling. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Gorilla. Um, and boy, this is a... Uh, <laughs> This is this is going to be fun right here. This this is going to be a blast. I can't wait for this. Vince McMahon has lost his mind. I think was exactly what I said to Mark but, when I saw what happened. But has he? I don't know. Okay, first of all, first of all, let's pause. Let's back up for a second. Of course, of course we would double up on our recording going into the week saying, you know what, it's fine. We'll record two episodes in one day. Right. Nothing's going to happen on Monday Night Raw. Of and course. And everything happens on Monday Night Raw. And we everything. Just, and it was just like, of, just, of course. And we didn't acknowledge any of it on the podcast because obviously we didn't know because we were recording well, early, as well, you probably but, 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 figured but, but, out but immediately. our podcast would come out before Monday anyway. It would be com- coming out before Raw anyway. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. So all we had to talk about was evolution, which was right. fine. Right. But my goodness. Yeah. So, yeah, so we got a bunch we got to catch up on. Um, so, yeah, evolution. Um, I didn't watch it live. I just oh, didn't great. care. I watched other stuff. But I did go back because everyone was talking about it, and I was following people talking about it. So I was like, okay, sounds interesting. So I went back, and I... I didn't watch every match, but I went through and watched most of it, and it was very good. I, I, I enjoyed it. I loved it. The only It caught me off guard. I didn't know it, it started at 7 or 7.30 rather than 8. So I was like, I had plans to sit down at 8 and start watching, and then I saw people tweeting about it at 7.15, and I said, oh, no, I missed it. But mm-hmm. I didn't miss that much. I missed the beginning of the, uh, of the Trish and Lita match. I saw okay. the very end of it, and then I was there for the rest of the show. And man, it was it was so good. Like it felt more like an NXT show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would agree. Else. Yeah, it definitely. But 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 because it felt like that because it really didn't have anything to do with the main product because it was just all the women, which are such kind of a small part of the show. Since it was all that, it had that feeling of oh, we don't have to be confined by the actual stories that yeah it, it, well, i mean there was i mean there were some obviously like with the ronda and nikki thing there there were some but and charlotte and um uh, but other than the two title matches those are the only two that really had done a whole lot on the main on like raws and smackdowns the other stuff was kind of not not seen or not built up as much yeah and so that i feel like that might be why because it, it, it well, had a feeling of being something different yeah, I think part of it, and I think a lot of people were forgetting this in the build-up to the show, like, oh, the main roster build has just been terrible. Like, they, right. don't, they don't care about booking the show, and that, that was kind of true, but yeah. a lot of the show was NXT stuff. I mean, two big matches were the NXT women's title true. match That's true. and the Mae Young Classic finals, so it was almost like a third of an NXT show in the product alone, like just the wrestlers. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. You know, it definitely makes sense. The tone definitely lended itself more to that. And it was, I read, um, I read online, it was the NXT production crew, too, because everyone else ah. had already moved on to the, you know, the Raw crew was already on their way to Raw. Right. So there was a lot going into it, not just the talent and, like, the fact that it is kind of a little side division, so it's smaller. 
but like the fact that you know they had that production team on it, the yeah. fact that they turned the lights off on the crowd, which I know we've talked about, it feels so much more big league it just does. as the show. The focus is on the wrestlers, and it, it doesn't sound like a big deal. Well, but when I, you watch it, it really is. I wouldn't say it's it feels more big league, but it feels more important. Like it feels yeah. because it because it's more about it's less about look at this huge show we're making, and it's more right. look at what's going on. Look at these two wrestlers, yeah. right? So it's so no, much more impactful and makes you care more. Yeah. Yeah, like the focus is on the product. And anyway, mm-hmm. fantastic show. The matches, yeah. the Battle Royal was great. I don't know if you watched that. But that um, was the one a lot of people were complaining about because it was your classic, like, I didn't, well, we don't I have didn't watch that for all one. these wrestlers, I, so we'll throw them in a Battle Royal. I heard a lot, of, was, I heard a lot of people said it was good. I did not watch that, though. It was, it was just, you know, it was paced so well. And, like, they gave everyone an entrance, mm-hmm. which made it feel like a little bit more of a real event and not just a throwaway match. It was paced really well. Right. All the eliminations like made sense and kind of like the, the match told a story really well, like a lot of great Royal Rumbles do, you know? Mm-hmm. They course. did that great spot. Like the last two people to enter, right, were the Iconics. And right. they were talking about... They, they did know, their how, thing where they stopped and had and got to talk. Yeah. Yeah, so they stopped and they talked and they cut a promo and talked about how old and washed up all these women were and how they were going to win and they deserved to win. And they get in the ring, and everyone immediately just throws them out. You know, like you know, it's coming a mile away, but it was yeah. still so great. Mm-hmm. Just, there was just a lot of really good moments like that, like um, Sonya Deville and Mandy Rose. You know, aren't really oh, a faction yeah. anymore, but they're still friends, and well, they teamed up maybe to eliminate not. two or three people, <laughs> and then Mandy Rose dumped Sonya Deville like immediately, and just kind of started taunting her. Like there was a yep. lot of fun stuff like that going on. Okay, it yeah, I, I did, I did skim through it now that you've mentioned these things, and I was like, oh, okay, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I did, I did kind of go through it. And there, there were definitely some moments. So that's a good point. Yeah, it's a good, good. Becky pull. and Charlotte tore the house down. That was just awesome. That yeah, so- yeah, that was, I, that was the one that everyone was talking about, and so I definitely made a point to watch that. And yeah, it was, it was fantastic. Great match. I hope. I think we both agree that should have main evented the show. Oh, I think 100%. a lot of people agree with that. The silver lining of that is Becky Lynch at the SmackDown the next week in Atlanta immediately turned around and used that line. Like that's right. just going to feed into her character even more now. Mm-hmm. And if they want to like sort of semi-intentionally start to snub her now just so she can keep saying stuff like that, then I'm all for it because that's, that's a lot of fun. And the fact that she has that beef now, going into her title versus title fight with Ronda Rousey is going to be awesome. Yeah. No, yeah, no, I definitely agree. It definitely works for that. And um, speaking of that, we got to talk about, because you were at SmackDown this past week. Yeah. Which I hate with a burning passion because SmackDown <laughs> never would come to Atlanta over the past, like, year and a half. It, like, yeah, I know. Like two, for, like, two years, SmackDown wasn't going through Atlanta, just whatever the loops were. And raw, it was always raw. So raw yeah, would come like, raw three like three times a year. And it was like, oh, great. We have to go to another raw. So for like a year, <laughs> I go to two different raws that both suck because raws have sucked for like three years now. And raws are very hit or all I want to do is say. go to SmackDown because it's freaking AJ Styles and all these other people that I like never comes through. Then I leave. And then sure enough, here comes SmackDown right through Atlanta. And sure enough, oh, here comes one of the greatest SmackDowns in like 10 years. Right through See, Atlanta. Here's the thing. It felt weirder in person 
which sucks because like in your in your head you know wow this is a really big deal like they're actually giving us the title match right to start the show shouldn't this be fun and it's Brian everyone and, in the and building uh, AJ. Was, everyone in the building was like half-assing their reactions to everything because we all knew and we were wrong but we all knew well there's no way they have a clean finish to this there's just mm-hmm. you know like once you've seen wrestling for any amount of time you right. kind of become aware of all the cliches yep and when shane mcmahon came out and was like okay we know how this goes you say oh let's have the match right now mm-hmm. i was waiting for him to say no you can't have the match right now right. and then as soon as he said yeah we'll have the match right now everyone's reaction was what Cool. Yeah. Oh no! Wait, no, no way. So it pretty Something's much, it happen. pretty much, yeah, that makes sense. Because again, I didn't watch it live, um, so it really just feels like it almost unintentionally swerved everyone by not yeah, swerving everyone. Exactly. Because it does. You're right, especially when it starts the show. Now you're like, oh well, now this is definitely going to go five minutes before it all implodes. Right. Well, like I was waiting. I mean, this ended up happening, but I thought it would happen during the match, like. They wrestle for 20 minutes, and the crowd gets really into it. And then, oh, no, here comes Samoa Joe, and that's so unfair. These two put on a great match, and we don't get to see the ending of it. Right. The fact that, like, it's really cool that they gave it a clean finish. I think a lot of us would love to see Daniel Bryan win, but, like, everyone likes AJ Styles, too. And that was a really cool moment, and I love that they're not doing some, like, 50-50 booking. Like, he just, he lost clean. Right. And he's going to be out of the title picture for a minute, and that's fine. Like, that's all really good, and... I feel like nobody in the building really appreciated it because we just kept waiting for the other shoe to drop, mm-hmm. and it just didn't. You know, like I, I get what you're saying, and on paper this was a great SmackDown with a lot of good moments, but being in the building for it, it was a little weird. I think just because they were improvising a lot of stuff to get ready for the other show that happened, which right. we'll get to in a minute. Right. But it was like it, it was a great match, and it was a lot of fun to watch. You could see. Um, you know, I'm not. I'm not like a super technical. Oh, this is a really great like ring psychology kind of thing. But you could tell the way each of them was softening the other up for their finisher. Yep, it was really, really, really fun to watch. Like it was a very great old school match. Yeah, that was. That, that's like, the way wrestling matches are supposed to be. Right. Right. You, you have time. You have two individuals in the ring. Two great workers. They know exactly. And and also. In in kayfabe or or whatever, it's two people that know the other wrestler, and so yeah. they're constantly performing moves that either set up their own moves or are purposely defending or uh, defending from the other person's main moves. And you could see yeah. everything was so logically paced, and every move had a reason for being done. They were not no moves were just like oh this is cool let's throw this cool move in there. Everything yeah. made sense and was done so clean and so well. And then they set up the leg, like everything. And then, then, then of course, he wins with the with the calf crusher on the leg that he set up to him. It's just, oh, it was just so well done. Yeah, and I mean, I, I need to go back and watch it again because you're right. On paper, it's a great match. It was just in the moment. Yeah, it no, that was, makes sense. You know, it wasn't as hot as it could have been because everyone was like, well, there's no way they actually let them do this. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. I didn't even think about it that way. Because, um, again, I didn't watch it live. I probably would have felt that way, too, maybe watching it live. But because yeah. I already knew, a, you know, I went back and watched it the next day. Yeah. Well, and, like, I, yeah. I texted you and I told you this. There was a woman right behind me who was like, I don't know if she was on a date with this guy or if they were just 
barely friends, but it was like they were both clearly into wrestling and they didn't know each other that well. So they were both just talking about a lot of wrestling and trying to like, she knew a lot and loved to show that she knew a lot. And he was like trying to catch up like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard that too. You know, but like as soon as the match starts, this this is a woman who I told you was talking about how, well, you know, nobody sells anymore. You right. know what they used to do back in WCW, like just the most real wrestling kind of old school Southern fan. As soon as the match started, she was right there with me. She was just like, oh, no, they're going to have Samoa Joe come in and break this up. They're not going to let him have a clean finish. And I feel like the whole crowd kind of felt like that, except for maybe the kids. But yeah. it was great. You know, it, it was a lot of fun to watch, but... Yeah, it was just a weird feeling. But what, like, other than that, there wasn't a ton of stuff that happened. Becky cut a great promo, but they didn't even let her wrestle or do anything. There wasn't a whole lot of women's action in general. Yeah, so ultimately, you got to go to a good show, and that was cool, Mm -hmm. and I'm jealous. And, um, yeah, so I guess we need to get through and just, we'll just briefly touch on the disaster that happened on uh, Friday. Um, (laughs) Boy, you're gonna I, have to do most of the heavy lifting on this one. Oh, I got no I, heavy lifting. I I took okay. fifteen minutes <laughs> to the uh, with that show. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know. Did we think it could be worse than we already thought it was going to be? Honestly, here's the thing: we watched Greatest Royal Rumble together, yeah, and, and we terrible. were kind of wondering, like, okay, is this gonna be? Anything, or is this going to be a house show? Yeah, and it was And the answer was, it's a house show. Right. So for this one, I thought, okay, I know how this goes. Like, the thing in Australia was just a house show. The last show in Saudi Arabia was just a house show. Nothing's really going to happen here. I don't need to watch it. Well, at least... Okay, okay. so much worse than we thought it would be. The Super Show was better than Greatest Royal Rumble. The Super Show had a couple of things. They had, like, the AJ... Joe match. There was some good, some decent stuff with that show, at least comparatively. But um, but yeah, th- this was this was uh, just the worst of everything. Like they just they took a hard left and said, okay, we're gonna make everything happen, and it's all gonna be terrible. It's just yep. it's just gonna be the worst. Yep. And, and I feel like you you might be onto something. <laughs> Because you had your own theory about this. Yeah. They're trying to get out of this deal. So I think they're just trying to do this. They're like, all right, let's make it uh, just the worst possible so we have an excuse to not go back. Maybe they won't ask us back. And it's just... No, I'll be I'll be completely honest. With that idea in my head, I might be more likely to watch another pay-per-view in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> if the goal is to just burn it down and have like the worst possible show you could ever have. Like if on Monday night... They just dismiss everything that happened. <laughs> and they're like, hey, Shane McMahon, best in the world. How you feeling? And he's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> That'd be awesome. That would like, be awesome. Just, like, it's like, like they just tank every show in Saudi Arabia for the next five years until they cancel it. Yeah. That would be wild. That would be very bizarre. I don't know how else you explain it. I genuinely don't. Like, I know you kind of have to improvise a little bit, like with Cena not right. going, Daniel Bryan not going. But that's but not the way man. you improvise. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, it just, I mean, and again, there's matches that, that should excite you. I mean, it starts off the show with Rey Mysterio versus 
Randy Orton. And it's just like, you, you sh- we should care about these, but because of what this show is, because of obviously all the other stuff around it, and then just with the way it's been portrayed, it's just, you just don't care. At all. Because you know well, nothing's going to happen. How can you, when they give you a tournament and say this is the World Cup, this is to crown the best in the world, and Shane McMahon wins it? Yep. Like, we're never, you don't take anything they say seriously now. No. You know, like, I know it's World Wrestling Entertainment, and they will always side on the entertainment side more than, like, a serious sports show that, like, kind of follows some internal logic. But yep. Holy cow. Yeah, that man. that I mean, was what? that like, was a whole nother level. When you texted me a picture of that, I was like, what? I know. Because <laughs> I saw, like, it came in waves, right? Because I wasn't watching this, but, you know, I follow a lot of people in right. the wrestling yeah, community on Twitter, and they're following it. And you see the picture of Brock Lesnar holding the Universal And title. you're like, of course. Yeah, you're like, of course. But also, and I thought about this, like, this probably isn't going to be the plan, but if this ends with, like, Brock Lesnar putting Finn Balor over for the Universal title, like, great. I think that'd right. be super interesting if you... Because beating Brock Lesnar still means something because so few people not named Roman Reigns have done it. True. If you let, like, Seth Rollins or Dean Ambrose or Finn Balor beat him or, some, you know, or Drew McIntyre, like, it's going to be a big deal. And mm-hmm. I like him as, like, the monster to be overcome more than Braun. Right. Who's like, great, but he doesn't need the title. So I wasn't that offended by that. It was more like a, oh, that's funny, and I get why people hate that. But maybe mm-hmm. it'll be good sort of thing. When I saw Shane, Shane won. <laughs> I, I just, I don't know what you can do besides laugh at that point. Because you're like, oh, okay, we're just burning it all down. We're just, we're just making all of our bad decisions at one time. But look, from th- that this perspective, is, this is very funny. Okay, but this is what I want to talk about this, because I do want to talk more about this. Um, okay, so I saw that. And immediately going through my head was a scenario with how this played out. And then I watched it, and it was even worse. Okay, my, explain to me how this happened because I didn't. Okay, I didn't my, see any of how I, he got there. I don't know if you had this. Did you? Do you have a scenario in your head of how you thought it played out? Because this is what I, I thought it did. Once you sent me that picture, I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Shane McMahon comes out in just inserting himself into this thing at the last minute and to win. Just like you know, this big heel thing that that was in my head the way it went down. Mm-hmm. Not at all. It was so much worse. So th- this is how it happened. So Miz and Ziggler are in the finals. And, you know, they start the match and the match is going. And then at one point, Ziggler's out on the outside. Miz, like, threw him out of the ring or whatever. And then he he goes down to get to, like, you know, to go after him. And when he jumps down off of the apron... He like twists his knee and then collapses on the ground. It's it looks bad. I mean, and wrestlers are supposed to be great at making stuff, you know, look real. That's kind of the point. And it looked awful. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow, that was some of the worst fake injury I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> and he and so he's like doing he's just doing this big sell with trying to you know fight through it, but he like can't stand up and keeps collapsing on himself and then. And then it ends up where Shane comes over, ref comes over, they're all looking and they're like, and the ref's like, he can't, he can't continue because Miz can't even stand up at this point. He keeps trying to like go after Ziggler and they're like, you know, the ref's like, all right, we got to, you know, the match is done. 
You know, he can't he can't go. And Shane's like, no, the match has to go, has to go. And then this goes back and forth for like five minutes. And then all of a sudden he's like, oh, I'll do it. And then goes in, takes his place, and then proceeds to go through and beat him. And you're just like, oh, how is that even allowed? I, I don't know. He it just he, it's this terrible match, and then he hits him with a coast to coast and pins him. And that's so much. That's worse than I was thinking in a way because like I knew Miz got hurt, hurt. Right. And Shane McMahon takes his place. I thought it at least happened like before the first fight. Right. Me too. So Shane McMahon like you know quote unquote legitimately made his way through the tournament. You can't make it all the way to the finals on your own. And then have someone else tag in, and then they win the cup. It's going to be great to hear Miz talk about this. I know, because this <laughs> makes Miz look pissed. bad. Like, it's just like, I don't know. Yeah. This doesn't, there's nothing that makes any remote sense. Unless, like, the only way is if they're, like, trying to make Shane, like, the heel leader or whatever again. But they didn't even do it like that. So yeah. they're going to have to do it completely on Tuesday if they're going to go that direction, which and that I, seems kind of like you wasted a good opportunity to get that ball rolling with this whole yeah, situation in the first place. I don't know why you wouldn't have just done it at the show itself. Because I have read that they're thinking about using, they might be using this to turn him heel. But then just have him win it in a super right. heely way. Like start the turn, you know? Right. But they're not... I don't know, man. It's this, like, this, it'd be this one thing nothing. if it was like beloved babyface Shane McMahon, but everyone is already kind of like, yeah, like you're cool and you sacrifice your body a lot and like you're fun, but nobody is clamoring to see him come in and win. No. Like if you do that with Kurt Angle or Daniel Bryan before he unretired, like if that had been an option, then at right. least that, you know, there's an actual wrestler involved that people want to see wrestle. Right. That's not what, oh, I don't know, man. It's just, it's bad. No, it was it was That's a t- yeah. It was awful. The other thing was the Brock Braun thing. It was just a squash match. Brock just beat the crap out of Braun and Braun had no offense. I figured. I saw he hit like 5 F5s. Yeah, is, it was so stupid. It was one of the worst things could, I've ever seen. It was from yeah, top to bottom just horrible. It was the worst way they could have possibly done that whole thing. I it just, was awful. Is um, there anything if they were trying to make people not care about the universal title, would you be doing anything differently? If they're trying to make them not care about it, no, they're doing a good job. Yeah. Um, but and like then just, and then the main event was just trash. Uh, oh, I heard it was awful. Again, I didn't, I didn't even watch it. I just skimmed through it. It was like forty minutes long, and I, it was like, no, and I joker. I didn't I didn't care. And then I, so I was skimming through it, just clicking through, clicking through, and oh, it was bad. I don't know if you've seen any clips from it, but I mean, these are no. I mean, the general. You were three people who was, don't wrestle, and then one guy who hasn't wrestled in eight years, and the guy who hadn't wrestled in eight years is out wrestling all of the other three by far. That was that um, was the general consensus that I got from everything I read. They were like, Shane, Shawn Michaels hasn't been in a ring in eight years, and he's the best person in this match. Yeah, yeah, it was it was awful. Um, and then I turned it off. I don't even know how it ended. Um, I don't. I know that DX won, but I turned it off as soon as I heard Michael Cole say super kick when Shawn Michaels hit a sweet chin music. I was like, oh, nope, done, gone. And we're done. I, I couldn't, I couldn't handle that. I could not handle that. I was like, no, this is a sweet chin music. I understand the actual move is a super kick, but this is freaking Shawn Michaels. When he does it, it's That is things. how You're overused right. that move has now become, which now it's just a super kick when it's Shawn Michaels doing it. 
that's yeah, that's real dumb. Oh, that made me so mad. Anyway, and I was done after that. So I uh, that that's all we Boy. have to say about that. Um, and uh, oh yeah, and then the other other going back to evolution. Ronda won, so we're still here. Should have yeah, probably started right. the show Obviously, with that. You know, if you listen to all this, lucky you. <laughs> we yeah, should have started with won. that. <laughs> But uh, that was a that was a really good like if Charlotte and Becky was a great wrestling match then this main event Ronda Nikki was a really great sports entertainment match like it, I didn't it even wasn't bother as with technically it. good Don't as care. something like you know AJ Styles and Daniel Bryan but it didn't have to be because you had Nikki and Brie giving her like the unfair advantage right but just constantly okay for about one thing 10 I do got to talk been, I got to talk about this with Ronda obviously if you listen to the show you know me and Harris both enjoy Ronda a lot. Um, and get what she brings to it, and she is the, I put this on Twitter, she's the reason this whole women's evolution, or revolution, is happening. Guarante- like, 100%, it starts with her, um, and, and her rise. We've talked about this before, but... Yeah, yeah. What in the heck, and I've let it go for now uh, several months. <laughs> okay. What in the world is with her armbar? It's not an armbar. Like, I don't understand what she is doing. She is bending the elbow the way it is supposed to be bent. Every time she does the... Yes! Every time she does the move, she is bending the elbow down where it is supposed to be bent and then just wrapping it around. It's like the lamest looking thing. It's like that's not an arm bar. She's doing the exact opposite. It's like she's so afraid to hurt someone that that they're just... She's just like... She's not even doing it. Like it, it, it drives me nuts. It's terrible. It is terrible. We That's, we've had armbars. We've had armbars being done in re, in professional wrestling for years, decades, and they've always I mean, the done arm- them right. And and then it's just like, it's wrong. She holds behind him. She bends the elbow where it is supposed to be bent, not out where it's straightened out. She bends it down and then just wraps it around their head, which does nothing. I mean, you can do that with your arm just right now, and it doesn't hurt at all. And it drives me crazy. It's like, I don't understand why she's doing it that way. Hang on. i got to watch this. I'm looking it up right now because I've literally never noticed that. But the only thing I could think of off the top of my head is, you know, it's just it's a WWE version of the move. Cause the but thing look, Alberto, uh, I can't say his name. Alberto Del Rio, he would do it. He did it fine. Yeah, he did he it right. Does. And again, it's it's a stupid move to do in wrestling because it's one of those moves that's real. That if you ever actually put it on someone, they would tap within three seconds. Right. So it's kind of a dumb move for wrestling. But it's but regardless, it's been done for years, and so that's fine. But. I don't know if – I, I don't understand. I honestly don't understand the thought process behind doing the move this way because it's wrong. Like, you're literally bending it where it doesn't hurt. <laughs> Mark, I don't – I'm looking at it right now, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to unsee this. That is liter- – she's literally bending it over her own arm. Where your elbow right. bends. It's moving exactly – it's just like I'm watching the one she put on Stephanie right after WrestleMania. And it's literally just her, like, curling her bicep in. Yes. Except it's, like, wrapped around one of Rhonda's arms. Right. You know what's really funny about it, though, is I, I never noticed it until you pointed out because the whole point of the move and the way she does it is it's the theatrics beforehand. Which is Every great. time she locks that move in, you see her raise the arm and, like, brace herself and maybe, like, taunt a little bit. 
And then she snaps. And as soon as she bends over, the crowd goes nuts. Whoever she's fighting taps. And there's not enough time for most people to notice what you just pointed out, which is really funny to me. And I kind of love that. Like, that's the most sports entertainment thing ever. Like, you get so sucked into the way she hams up, like, lifting the opponent's arm and straightening it out and wrapping her arms around it. Yeah, which you is don't stop which is and look fine. At what their arm is actually doing. I mean, which is fine because I mean that is I mean, yeah, that that's where she's great is all that stuff, but it's just like she's the quote-unquote realist person in the WWE as far as the women's division and literally does the weakest finish. Like <laughs> look at this. She literally bends the elbow where it bends. So you, does that mean you think the uh, Bailey to Belly is a better finisher than Ronda Rousey's armbar? Is that what you're telling me? <sighs> that's a that's a tough one. I don't I don't, don't know if I can go that. that far. I don't know if I can oh, go man. that far. But it's just like what was I... it all. It just drives well, me nuts because again, if this is any other wrestler, I'm like, okay, whatever. They're just they they, they don't know any better. <laughs> but, well, part of it too might be she does this. I remember when she first started, she had this weird like. It looked like a potato sack toss, basically. It looks like she's botching some sort of basic suplex. But she came out on Twitter and was like, no, that's this specific kind of judo. Oh, no, it's a real, no, that's a real move, yeah. Right, right, right. But I'm just saying, like, in her, there might be some, like, this is a variation of an actual armbar that some people actually use that, like, I don't know about. You know what I'm saying? Like, there might be she might be basing that on something that we don't know about. I don't know, because you're right. It now, does that look just could like be. she's bending this way, but like maybe the argument is she's putting more weight on like the joint or she's cranking the elbow like up while she's doing it. I don't know. That could be. Again, I, I'm not... Know, I remember her, like her UFC armbar, where you can see their arm actually bending the way it should have been, <laughs> and like why they have to tap. But, mm-hmm. I yeah, know. I mean, it, it could be something... Uh, it could be something different, but... I mean, uh, I know guaranteed it's definitely not anything she ever did in a UFC fight. So, um, yeah, uh, and it's not anything that I learned. I mean, I did jujitsu and all that stuff for over a year training and everything. It's never anything I've ever heard of. So, um, anyway, I just, I had to get, I had to get that out there cause it, it's been, I've been letting it go for a while that's and really it's funny. just, oh, it just drives me nuts. Anyway. That's probably the most quality wrestling analysis we've ever had on this dumb show. Yeah, <laughs> probably, yeah. I feel like to a real <laughs> scoop or a real, like, hot take, you know? Yeah. So, um, funny. yeah, I apologize if I ruin that for anybody, because I, pro- I know I just ruined it for Harris there. And, no, I and like for- I said, I think it's a lot of fun that I never noticed until now. I think that's super interesting. Yeah, and I mean, and I'm sure... 80% of wrestling fans don't. So, um, you say, you know, so I guess it's fine, but just drives me nuts. Anyway, we need to get into the regular show because we've already been talking for a long time. So Harris, you have the topic okay. this week and, uh, go for it. All right. Well, uh, First of all, hopefully I won't go for another hour on this. <laughs> this, is, this is a pretty involved story, but it's not... It's not as typical as a lot of our stuff where we talk about, like, booking decisions or character debuts or things like that. Right. This is more about, like, the circumstances surrounding a show. And okay. I'm pretty proud of how topical this one is. Because, um, you know, there's been a lot of, like, political heat on WWE, and there were some great John Oliver videos where he's just talking about, you know, how corrupt the Saudis are and how bad of a look this is for the company. 
and you're just watching this, and if you, you know, haven't followed wrestling for that long, you might think, oh, well, surely this is a new low for wrestling. <laughs> and there's no way that anything like this could have ever happened before. I mean, this is a wrestling promotion going into basically a dictatorship with a pretty sketchy human rights record and just helping them sell their propaganda, right? Yeah. And like like most things, I think, that we've touched on in this show, um, WCW did it first, guys. I'm sorry. You're <laughs> wrong. Nothing is new under the sun. Today I want to talk about the time that World Championship Wrestling, partnered with New Japan, actually, went to North Korea <laughs> and put on a wrestling show. Now, I feel like we've talked about this in the past, haven't we? I feel like this has come up off the air. Uh, we've at least talked about this a little bit. Are you familiar with this at all? We might have talked about it. I don't remember if we have or not. Okay, okay. Well, um, there's a great, very comprehensive oral history of this that Sports Center did. A couple years ago for the 20th anniversary of this tour because it took place in 1995. And it's a really, I'm basing a lot of it off of that, but they go back and they interview a lot of the people involved and just kind of break down the whole story. And maybe uh, unlike WWE's event into Saudi Arabia, and I'm going to keep comparing the two a lot, this one was a little bit more nakedly political. It wasn't just about making a lot of money because North Korea doesn't have a lot of money, right? But what happened was uh, the New Japan legend Antonio Inoki, who, you know, founded New Japan Pro Wrestling. He was, oh, yeah. just, he, he was one of the icons of Japanese wrestling. He's like, you know, Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair rolled into one, basically. And he was so popular in Japan that in the early 90s, he actually ran for and was elected to basically their equivalent of the Senate. So he's an active pro wrestler in Japan. He's founded his own company, New Japan Pro Wrestling. We've never seen anything like that happen in this country. No, never. Never, ever. That was a joke, in case anyone didn't get that. WWE Hall of Famers are one for one when running for president, by the way. Well, I didn't even mean that. I was talking about, like... (laughs) Jesse the Body Ventura, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesse, there we go. That was another one. Freaking governor. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> but, like, he wasn't booking himself into matches as the governor, right? <laughs> like, Antonio Inoki, he is, I, I, they call it, like, a councilman or something like that, but it is literally, he's a senator, right? right. Like, he's duly elected, and, like, if you imagine, like, Ric Flair becoming a U.S. senator, <laughs> his career was going about the way you'd expect which is he'd been in office for a few years, and he was in a lot of trouble because he was very corrupt. (laughs) At the very least, he was spending money poorly. There were a lot of allegations of, like, embezzlement and improper use of government funds. Sounds sounds like a wrestler wrestler to me. I'm sure there were some people using that against him. Anyway, all this being said, Antonio Inoki looked around and said, I know what I can do to improve my political standing. I'm going to progress peace talks with North Korea. I'm going to do something that's so big and so flashy that it brings us closer to peace, that it, you know, helps open the doors of this horrible dictatorship. We're going to have a wrestling show there. And he kind of partnered with North Korea because, one, his mentor was another Japanese wrestler. I'm going to butcher this name because y'all didn't 
tune in for my Japanese, obviously, but <laughs> a guy named Rikidozen was his wrestling name. This is uh, Antonio Inoki's mentor, and he was born and raised in Korea, moved to Japan as a sumo wrestler, and basically founded Japanese's pro wrestling movement. And so he is already like a legend in Korea, North and South. So North Korea kind of loves this guy and is aware of him, and they reach out to his protege, Antonio Inoki, about coming to this, you know, basically some sort of aggrandized, overhyped, international, like, peace and sports festival, right? And they, Inoki says, this is going to be great for me, like good PR as a senator, so I can get reelected and make me look a little better. It's going to be a great opportunity for my company, New Japan Pro Wrestling. We're going to get a lot of visibility. And they had a working relationship at the time with WCW. So Inoki reaches out to Eric Bischoff and says, hey, man, this is what I'm thinking about doing. What do you think? And this is like, this isn't quite Attitude Era Eric Bischoff, but this is still like WCW out for blood Eric Bischoff. So he doesn't even talk to the rest of the people at Turner Broadcasting. He just says, yeah, absolutely, I'm in. All of, all of the research Eric Bischoff did into North Korea before he accepted this was he talked to a couple of his pals at CNN. Because, you know, it's all located kind of in the same area right. in Atlanta. Yeah. Yep. And he reached out to some of his friends, like journalists at CNN, and said, okay, so, like, say I do this. And I don't, like, tell anybody, I don't ask any, like, permission from the State Department or, like, my bosses. What's the worst that's going to happen? And the people at CNN are like, well, if you go to North Korea without permission and then come back, uh, the State Department's probably going to be a little pissed, and (laughs) you'll probably get searched a lot and questioned a lot. But, like, there's really nothing, like, they're not going to throw you in prison or anything. (laughs) And Eric Bischoff said, they're not going to put me in prison? All right, I'm in. Great, let's do it, you know? That's the only thing that matters. And he's thinking, you know, like, this is going to be a great opportunity. There's going to be, you know, kind of the same reason the WWE went to Saudi Arabia. Like, we're going to take wrestling to a new place. We're going to use wrestling to bring new eyes to the product and, like, make the world a better place and share our culture and all this very high-minded stuff, you know. I don't know how much he actually believed that, how much of it was just to, you know, like, have another thorn to stick in WWE's side and say, look at how big and great we are, you know, international presence and that sort of thing. But at any rate, WCW's president is in. Antonio Inoki and his New Japan wrestlers are in. And now he just needs a foil. So, of course, Inoki reaches out and gets Bischoff to pull the the brightest of stars on his roster, the one and only Hulk Hogan. Of course. Hulk Hogan... He might not be a smart man, but he's not an idiot. <laughs> Eric Bischoff came to him, and the way Eric Bischoff puts it is he says, this is the quote that was repeated in a lot of different articles. He said, I might as well have asked him to row to Pluto. <laughs> That's how interested Hulk Hogan was. I don't... Yeah. Uh, that's amazing. Keep in mind, this is not like pariah Hulk Hogan who will do anything to get back into wrestling, you know? showing up at the Saudi Arabia pay-per-view. This is like the peak of his powers, Hulk Hogan. This is Hulk Hogan in 1995. He is the biggest star in the world, and he takes one look at North Korea and says, absolutely not. Not touching it. No way. (laughs) So Eric Bischoff goes straight to Ric Flair. Ric Flair's like, sure, okay, I'll do it. He, uh... (laughs) 
he did his research. You know, he um, he says he actually he talked to a senator from North Carolina and said, "Hey, what do you think about this? You know, there's a show in North Korea. Should I go?" And the senator said, "No, you shouldn't go. Are you kidding me? This is North Korea." And then he said, and then I talked to um, the governor of South Carolina, and he also said, "No, absolutely not. Like that's crazy. You shouldn't go." And the um, the, the Sports Illustrated write-up actually goes out of its way to say, if he knew even a little bit more about like what going to North Korea entailed, he also wouldn't have gone. But he really didn't. He just kind of, you know, okay, well, they're communists, and it's kind of a rough place, and it's going to be a big show and partner with New Japan, and, like, I get to wrestle Antonio Inoki. Absolutely, I'm in. So we have this, this motley crew of, you know, a couple WCW wrestlers. Uh, Road Warrior Hawk is there. Uh, the Steiner brothers are there. Ric Flair is there. Chris Benoit is there wrestling in New Japan under the Wild Pegasus name. So oh, yeah. He's tagging along. It's this whole, it's this weird little mishmash of just like pure mid-90s like wrestling caricature, right? And they leave, as they're leaving Japan, the government stops them one more time and says, hey, now, you know, we can't help you, right? <laughs> like, you realize that you're flying into North Korea, and you're like, really, we can't do anything. We can't guarantee your safety. We can't come get you out. Like, you, you know what you're doing, right? They were all like, yeah, it's fine. and i think at this point like you know they weren't entirely sure what they were in for like it's it's stories like this this is before like dennis rodman went over there this is before we had a lot of access into north korea the whole reason they were doing this was their first great leader i think it's kim il soon the one before kim jong-il had just died in 1994 and the north koreans were thinking okay we're going to bring over, you know, some of the, the biggest, most important people in the world. We're going to prove to our people that everyone wants to be in North Korea, and they really admire us. And we're going to prove to the rest of the world that, like, hey, we're cool and open-minded, and we want to be a part of your culture. Uh, and they did that by going after pro wrestling, because, you know, there's nothing <laughs> bigger in Western culture well, that is, than pro that is wrestling. True. <laughs> the, even the wrestlers themselves in this interview are kind of talking about it. And, like, Meltzer and one or two of the CNN reporters they're talking to are like, yeah, North Korea has this history of, like, aggressively trying to brand themselves and just getting it slightly wrong. Like, apparently, <laughs> after, um, oh, what was his name? After Bill Clinton was elected president, they invited his little brother over for a state <laughs> visit. Never mind that, like, nobody knows or cares that Bill Clinton's little brother is technically an aspiring actor who was sort of known for that at the time. Like, it was just one of those weird things where they thought, oh, yeah, this is a PR home run. And everyone in the United States is just like, really? You're... Okay. And don't, don't spend any more thought on it. So a bunch of these wrestlers are going in not really knowing how bad North Korea is, other than the fact that, again, they're communists and kind of closed off. But maybe this will be a chance for them to, you know, open their doors and loosen up a little bit. And maybe, you know, we can teach these people a thing or two about America and capitalism and <laughs> pro wrestling. So they get picked up in a plane that is literally straight out of World War II. It's got propellers <laughs> on it in 1995. <laughs> like, they get 
they go to the airport in Tokyo, and they have special clearance and all that, and the North Korean military flies their best plane over. And it's, you know, it's like a prop plane from 1950. And they get on, and, you know, Rick... Okay, hang on, hang on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah. All that makes me think of is in Major League, when (laughs) they keep... They keep being given these worse and worse things of transportation to get around because the owner's yeah. so mad at them for winning. She pull, you can get this prop plane and starts flying around, and then you get Bob Euchre saying during the game, "Well, Indians still suffering from propeller lag." Go through. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I can that's think a, of after that. <laughs> that's pretty. That, that's not even my favorite part about the plane. I'll get. Oh, to that oh, later, okay. <laughs> Well, Ric Flair gets on the plane, and they're like, you know, this is this is an oral history, so all these guys are being interviewed. And they say, like, yeah, we got on the plane and went to buckle our seatbelts and realized that there weren't any. <laughs> and that was kind of when we realized what we were getting ourselves into. Was that oh, That's amazing. <laughs> so the flight is just exactly as bad as you think it would be under those circumstances. Like, they make it there fine, and nobody's too stressed out yet. They're just like, oh, this is... This could get interesting, but like <laughs> Muhammad Ali was also invited on this trip. He was, you know, really old, and his Parkinson's was getting pretty bad at this point. Right. But all of the wrestlers, you know, grew up loving him and watching all of his fights, and they were so in awe of him. Of course. And he was so like, you know, he modeled his persona off of a pro wrestler named Gorgeous George. So he was really excited to be there with them. <laughs> so he's telling jokes and like messing with him like he's walking around the plane going i want you i want you i want you like and they're so fired up they're like cutting promos on muhammad ali because they look up to him and he looks up to them and it sounds like it was actually a really fun like flight environment despite the fact that you know they were in a propeller plane with no seat belts and (laughs) when they ordered a beer they had beer but they didn't have like one kind of beer they just had a bunch of different kinds of warm room temperature beer like in north korea they just had they just had like a box of miscellaneous stolen beer from south korea and they just had it all on the plane it wasn't like on ice it wasn't refrigerated or anything they just had some so it was like oh yeah can i can i get a beer and the stewardess is like well yeah just here drink this one (laughs) like it wasn't exactly first class is what i'm saying but they're you know they're getting along really well with muhammad ali at least they have stewardesses for all of them like that was the really common thread of all the people, which is like, this is so surreal to be here with him and watch it, you know, watch him in person. So they land in Korea, and they have, you know, like this big welcoming ceremony, and they're all given what they call minders. And literally every single one of them is given a person that just goes everywhere with them and makes sure they don't do anything sketchy. Of course. And make sure they don't say anything bad. And, again, you get to the point where the wrestlers are a little bit more nervous. They're kind of starting to freak out a little bit, especially because, like, they don't have anything to do for the next two or three days (laughs) except soak in all this Korean propaganda, right? (laughs) And it's very funny to read all of these stories, and I can't do them all justice, like, just to, like, get their perspective, but it's all of, like, just the most cliched, like, caricatures of American excess, because that's kind of what pro wrestling is anyway, right? Like, right, Especially right. in the mid-90s. Like, the Korean stereotype of Americans is that we're all, like, 
roided out rage monsters who are coming to <laughs> kill them and rape their women and stab their babies with our bayonets. Like, that's the kind of stuff that's on their propaganda cartoons. Right. And then this propeller plane lands, and who walks down the stairs but Scott Steiner? <laughs> <laughs> that's who you want representing a nation? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's who, right. Like, that was it. So, like, our, our American delegation to these people was Eric Bischoff and Rick Flair and the Steiner brothers and, like, Road Warrior Hawk. I mean, and they were they were laughing about it. They're like, we really, like, people are parting like the Red Sea when they see us because we're reaffirming, like, all the stereotypes about Americans. There's another guy named um, Scott Norton who, you know, you see pictures of him, and he's just, he looks like he weighs 375 pounds. Just freaking these people out, you know? And, like, one of them came up to Ric Flair and was like, look, this is different from America, you know? Like, this is his handler, right? His minder. Like, you can't touch our women. And Ric Flair was like, Ric Flair and Eric Bischoff were like, yeah, okay. <laughs> and they're like, cannot touch our women. And Ric Flair's like, I'm not actually going to, okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, the combination, it's funny because it's Ric Flair, and that's right, kind right. of what he's known for doing anyway. But the reputation is like, oh, these Americans treat women horribly, and they're going to, you know, come invade us one day. And Ric Flair's just like, man, I'm not going to. No. I believe it was Scott Steiner who said, like, they were all, you know, emaciated anyway. Right. <laughs> Basically just like, man, we wouldn't, we don't want to, you know? Oh, that's horrible. Just, yeah, you know, I, like, I get it, though, because they're all, like, at this point, the veneer, like, the, the shine on this trip has kind of already gone off. And they're doing things like, they go to, you know, they're, they're on the one-year anniversary of the glorious leader's death. So they go to, like, the monument, and they say, okay, we need you to put flowers on the monument. And Scott Norton's like, well, yeah, I mean, all right, I guess I'll go with that, because you've already kind of figured out. All these wrestlers are like, we, we can't say no to anything these people ask us to do, because the first thing we did when we got off the plane was they took our passports away. Like, we just have to roll with this. Now. Right, right. We can't leave. They just landed the propeller plane at the airport, and we're... We're here now. we got to go with it. So they're doing, and they're literally like, so what they would do is they would sell us flowers, like a bouquet of flowers. We walk up to the monument and, you know, set them down and just kind of nod and stand there solemnly. And then we walk away, and we see a North Korean official run out, take the flowers, and run back into the line and sell them to someone else. (laughs) That was how the morning ceremony went. And there's this long line of Koreans that were buying the same flowers over and over again to lay on this guy's grave. Because, like, what are you going to do about it? Right. Nothing. And, like, one morning, Eric Bischoff gets up. And he's, you know, he's kind of middle-aged at this point. But he's a fitness freak. You know, anyone in the wrestling world likes to keep working out. So one morning, he wakes up at 530 before the handlers or anybody wake up. And they don't have anything scheduled till about 9 o'clock in the morning. And he wakes up and just goes through a jog. Through... Pyongyang, North Korea, and he's got, you know, like his black sweatpants on and a red shirt and a ball cap turned on backwards, and he said he literally felt like Moses, like as North Koreans were coming out to go to work, they would see him and just run to the other side of the street. Like, <laughs> it's, a, it's a bizarre thing to imagine Eric Bischoff just running alone through the twilight zone. Like, right. They talk about how the whole city is just made out of, like, concrete, you know? There's no design to anything. There's no color anywhere. Right. Half the buildings are just empty because North Korea was like, yeah, we need tall buildings, but like, there's not enough people or jobs to occupy them. Yeah. 
he gets back and his handler is like, you're in so much trouble. You can never do that again. Just choose him out. He's kept under like a really strict watch the rest of the trip, and he's kind of freaked out. <laughs> uh, Scott Norton calls his wife one night, like long distance, and it's like a real sketchy thing where it's like they have to ring an operator in China, and the operator in China gets in touch with his wife at home, and it's like $17 a minute for the right. long-distance phone call. And his wife accuses him of like, oh, I haven't heard from you in three days. You're over there partying, going out all the time, and, you know, they get in a fight. Right. And he, I have to paraphrase him here because this is technically a family podcast, and my mom <laughs> might listen to it. But he says something along the lines of, you have no idea how terrible this place is. Right. Click. And he thinks, oh, man, she hung up on me. That sucks. Right. Put the phone down, went to bed. There's a knock on his door, and it's, it's, three, it's three soldiers. It's three North Korean soldiers. And he's hauled out of his room and brought downstairs and questioned for, like, hours. Yep. And he's sitting there, and he's like, these guys have guns, and, like, none of the other wrestlers know where I am. And they took my passport when I got off the plane. And, oh, my God, I'm going to die here. Like, yeah. this is it. This is what I did. And eventually they said, don't say anything bad about North Korea. Only good things. Only good things. And then they leave. And they take him back to his room. <laughs> <laughs> and he's got to try to, like, he's got to try to sleep, you know. Right, right, yeah. It's a big day tomorrow. Like, oh, okay, that's, that's good. And it's just, <laughs> there's so much stuff like this happening over yeah. the course of their couple of days. Just real sketchy, like, if they weren't, if the North Koreans didn't think they were world-famous athletes, things could have gone south for them very quickly. At one point, right. they had a show, like, in their hotel room. And it was, like, dinner theater, and, like, there's a bunch of traditional North Korean dancers putting on this performance, right? And something about, you know, like, the way their, their art and their culture works, there's, like, really elaborate mid-dance costume changes. Like, that's part of the intricacy of it. Like, they've designed their uniforms, the things they're wearing, so they can do a lot of quick costume changes all in unison, apparently out of nowhere. And once again, God bless him, Scott Steiner, who is like the, the number two patron saint of this podcast behind yeah. David Arquette. <laughs> he kind of is, Steiner yeah. Is sitting, he's sitting there in his chair, and all he can think is, how are they doing that? This is awesome. And he won't stop talking about it. He's talking to the other wrestlers. He's like, how do they do that? They just change like out of nowhere, and it's instant. They don't go anywhere. It's just like they just pull something. And he's saying things like, you know what, I figured out what it is. And everybody's like, what, what is it, Scott? What? <laughs> Why are you so interested in this? He's like, I think it's, they're not even changing, right? Like the lights are what's changing color. The lights are changing, and it's making their clothes look different. And everyone's like, Scott. <laughs> Scott, their skin is the same color, right? It's not. And he's like, oh, yeah, I didn't think about that. <laughs> uh. Wait, you cannot. You can't make this stuff up. So <laughs> you, you hit Steiner. the nail on the head. It's like, yeah, we, we have David Arquette, obviously our patron saint, our, our our natural leader, and then a close a close second second lieutenant over there is uh is is Scott Steiner. He just keeps coming up, man. Like you can't make <laughs> this man up. Well, he decides. He says, you know what? I detect. I'm going to get to the bottom of this. I'm going to go backstage, and figure <laughs> it out, and like ask them what they do. Again, imagine Scott Steiner, <laughs> who is just like everything that they fear about Americans. They're like, this, this man is going to be the literal the death again, of Here all of us. <laughs> oh, my no goodness. Sooner, they're all like, dude, what are you doing? What are you doing? He goes backstage, and he's confronted by about a dozen Koreans who are just like, no, <laughs> no, get out, go. And 
pointing and waving frantically, and he's kind of like, okay, 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 it's fine. It's fine. He turns around and walks right back out. And I assume the other wrestlers are like, you're an idiot. Like, what are you? (laughs) So, you know, one of them almost gets arrested or killed or sent to a gulag calling his wife. Eric Bischoff goes for a morning run and just, like, terrorizes half of the city. And Scott Steiner almost gets arrested or killed or sent to a gulag because he's trying to get into the women's dressing room to figure out their costume change. Okay, hang on, hang on, and pause real quick. We yeah. got to go back to the Scott Steiner thing. Yeah. If this had happened not in North Korea, it would still be a problem. <laughs> You're not wrong. Like, like this is not something that would be okay here. Like, you can't just go <laughs> back. Let's see what they used to change. It's like that's not that, no, much yeah. less than freaking North Korea. Yep. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. But again, just the fact that like. No, we can just kill you, and nobody would ever be able to do anything about it. That's what makes it so much wilder. Because that seems like the kind of knucklehead stuff he would do anyway. You're right, it does. Yeah, it does. It's just the fact that it's literally in a dictatorship, like a military dictatorship, and the fact that their worst fear is people exactly like him. <laughs> and that's what makes it funny just to think about from their perspective, because you know they were not super happy to see him either. No, like no. they were just as scared as he was. Oh man, you're right. That's a good point. Wow. So this is, you know, all this is leading up to to the wrestling shows, right? This is the whole reason we're here. And it was it was a two-night show. The first show was going to be, uh, you know, a little bit smaller, sort of the appetizer basically for the weekend. So it was only in front of 160,000 <laughs> that was the B show, you know. Oh man, we're gonna get these people warmed up, and Good they gosh. they go out of the way. They're like, yeah, I don't know, like how the ticketing system works. I'm pretty sure these people don't pay money at the box office for a ticket. I'm pretty sure I'm this pretty is sure get up, get out of your house, and come to this yep. stadium. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All I can so think like, of is sure like you get like all I can think of given to you. Is like the uh, the like horn going off um, from like the Hunger Games before the reaping, yeah. and everyone just filing out, wearing whatever the best clothes they have, and being well, led much, by gunpoint to to the stadium. Pretty much, that's all I can that's think the of. They're all the wrestlers are like, yeah, we don't know exactly how they got here, but we're not going to ask either. You know, that's kind of the way. Okay, well, at least they're learning. Right. So, like, at this point, there's no illusions about anything anymore. Like, they are pretty well aware of what kind of a place they're in. And the only thing they don't, you know, you think this is a reassuring, like, okay, well, now we've made it through our downtime and listened to all the propaganda and done most of the photo ops, and now, like, it's showtime, you know? Except pro wrestling is a very, very theatrical thing. Right. And it's a weird enough thing to watch when you have some frame of reference for what you're watching or really any frame of reference for any sort of theatricality because (laughs) that doesn't exist in North Korea. (laughs) They have, like, some traditional forms of dance, and they have, like, if you remember, like, the Olympic Games in China where they did, you know, those human formations, like, with the cards and the blocks and the opening ceremonies. They do some stuff like that. Like, they give every person in the stadium a couple little cards, right. and they can create these cool animations with the cards. But, you know, like, the, the culture in that country is traditionally very reserved and, like, you know, disciplinarian, and 
the fact that it's now a communist dictatorship doesn't really help anything. So there are very reserved, like, lockdown people in a country where all the buildings are gray. And here comes the road warriors in their <laughs> face paint. And they're, they're here for a tag match. You know, they're really going to – the crowd had no idea how to process it. <laughs> like, you think about, like, New Japan – audiences are different because culturally in japan it's a lot more reserved they treat it more like a real sport but it's very flamboyant yes but they also they know what they're signing up for so you might start with like a really muted response and then there's some polite applause and if you're doing it right like by the end the crowd is really loud they're really into it right Mm -hmm. that didn't really happen here (laughs) (laughs) because nobody knew what they were supposed to be watching and Ric Flair and Eric Bischoff are, are in, like, the box seat. Because this is the first night, right? So this is kind of like the B-show. And Ric Flair and Inoki aren't, aren't going on until the next night. And Ric Flair says he's sitting there in the box. And he's like, I, I think they were expecting, like, Greco-Roman wrestling. <laughs> like, they just knew they were going to a wrestling show. And they're like, all right, well, this will be a cool thing. And it'll be like a real sporting competition, like amateur wrestling, right? <laughs> so they're watching. Surprise. Yeah. So they're watching people, you know, like, it's obviously a little stage. Like, if you've ever seen pro wrestling and you've never watched it before, what? you're like, oh, well, this isn't, this isn't no. real. And they're putting on, like, blasphemy. Moves. <laughs> you know, and Ric Flair says, like, a minister, uh, uh, apparently one of the ministers of sport said, I don't think he can use that move on that guy. <laughs> and it's not really clear if he meant, like, according to the rules of Greco-Roman <laughs> wrestling, because you're not supposed to, like, stand up and punch each other or anything like that. But I think it was, you know, like, you know, like a shoulder tackle or something. And he was like, he can't do that to him. And he meant, like, physically. <laughs> he's like, he's, he's half that man's size. He can't knock him to the ground. And Ric Flair, bless his heart, has no idea what to do. And he just doesn't even break character. And he's like, well, I don't know about that, but i tell you something. He couldn't do it to me. i tell you that. He's a man. Like, he just... Oh. He's like, I don't know what he wants me to do. I'm just going to own it. This is the most, like, wrestling is real show of all time because they're like, are they going to be offended if they think it's not real? We really have to sell this, you guys. <laughs> like, they just... That's one of the greatest things I've ever heard of. The wrestlers have to make it. Like, well, he sure couldn't hit it on me. I'll cr- tell you that. The wrestlers have to make it real. <laughs> like they feel, I can see them watching this and be like, oh my gosh, they think it has to be real. We have to literally make this seem real and our lives just might depend on it. <laughs> like, there's no, there's just, there's nothing. There's oh, no crowd man. emotion. At all. They just don't know what to do. They're just kind of confused, <laughs> which, you know, as you would be, because they have no even, like, concept of what this would be. But, you know, like, it's, it's, it's not not a success. Like, the matches are good. There's a women's match that absolutely tears the house down, not in terms of, like, a loud standing ovation, but just in terms of, like, we're definitely getting a reaction, even if it's, like, confused and <laughs> vaguely excited. There was just this sense that, like, again, this is a very reserved, like, stiff upper lip and keep your top button button kind of culture. And then there's these Japanese bodybuilders with, like, green spiked hair <laughs> wrestling other women. And these people have never seen anything like this before. Of course. 
And everyone is just kind of, uns- it feels like these women are from another planet. So it's a success, not in the sense that, like, the crowd goes wild, but just in the sense that, like, well, we came here to put on a show. And, um, yeah, that's never happened here before. <laughs> so the first show is kind of, I don't want to say hit or miss, but it's definitely weird, right? right? And there's this weird sense that, like, we're in over our heads. This is an alien country. And, like, the sooner we can just get out of here, the better. And the main event of the second night show, this is in front of 190,000 people. Wow. And that's according that's according <laughs> to suck, North suck Korea. It, so suck like it, WrestleMania. Fudged a little bit. But all wrestling numbers are fudged. You know, like WWE's attendance records are made up. And Meltzer reported on this a little bit, and he says it's probably more like, I don't know, like 175,000. Oh, pfft. Yeah, peanuts, right? Yeah, that's terrible. <laughs> suck it, WrestleMania. Yeah. Right. So, you know, Scott Steiner is out there working his... Wait a minute, hold on. Are we saying that North Korea is the best wrestling crowd of all time? That's what it sounds Mm -hmm. like to me. It sounds Mm -hmm. like they have the best fans in the history of wrestling. They certainly take it very seriously. Well, don't let Vince know, because he'll go there next. He'll try it. I mean, why not? He will, yeah. He will try and break that attendance record. Make that money, that's right. So... (laughs) They, you know, Scott Steiner, I, I, I can't even imagine a stadium that big. And I'm just going to kind of pause my commentary on this. Like, the biggest stadium I've ever been in, maybe not ever been in, but, like, my reference point is always Sanford Stadium in Athens, where, you know, the Georgia football team plays, and that's 92,000 people. Yeah, it's that's a lot. That's always my frame of reference for, like, a big stadium. This is literally like that plus 100,000 more people. <laughs> I can't even wrap my mind around what that building looks like. Yeah, I, I can't. What it's, what it's like to wrestle in the middle of it and wrestle in the middle of it to dead silence. With like the idea in the back of your head, like, they never gave us our passports back. Right, right. <laughs> and you got to go out there and you got to put on a show. And this is kind of where, like, you can kind of tell why they said if Ric Flair had known a little bit more about this country, he would not have gone. He is thoroughly freaked out by this point. Like he's having a miserable time. He just wants to go home. He wants nothing to do with these people. And he's been like front and center of this whole thing, right? Like the whole week they've been asking him questions with the cameras in front of him. Like, don't you think Japan should have to pay for their war crimes? And he's like, how do I even begin to respond to that <laughs> without getting thrown in prison either here or when I get back home? Right, in right. right. And he's, you know, he's saying stuff like, well, I, you know, I was born after the war. And, yeah, war's pretty bad. That's just, you know, war shouldn't happen. That's real bad. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, like, the, just so thoroughly freaked out. And now he has to go out here and wrestle a match with the greatest wrestler in Japanese history, a man right. who's definitely out of his prime by this point, and Rick is a little bit out of his prime, too, and they've never wrestled before. This is, like, two of the, of the all-time greats, and, like, Inoki has had matches with Hulk Hogan in the past, which is why he wanted to work with Hogan first, and he's had an exhibition match with Muhammad Ali before, yep. which is, oh, yeah. honestly, could probably be its own episode. <laughs> It probably could, yeah. But, you know, so he's he's certainly experienced, and Ric Flair is certainly experienced. This has never happened before. And Ric Flair and Antonio Inoki go out there in the main event in front of almost 200,000 people. 
and Mark, they tear the house down. <laughs> and I don't mean that in the sense of like the women's match, where it's like, right, oh, right. this is different, and people are kind of uncomfortable. They make it work. <laughs> they they are so good at pro wrestling, and Ric Flair is just out there doing what he does best. And this, this, in my opinion, is why Ric Flair is the greatest of all time, because he walked into this crowd and this environment, and he disrespected the ref, and he was constantly cheating, and he's constantly grabbing on the ropes, and he's low-blowing Inoki, and he's doing everything he has to do to get an unfair advantage, and he's doing it in a way that a 100 and 90,000 people can see that this guy's full of it. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't deserve to win. And he's cheating. And part of it is the fact that he's the showboat, blonde, Adonis American. <laughs> and here's Inoki, who's, you know, the Asian conqueror, right? Right. And they buy into it. And they start really cheering for Inoki. And by the t- they wrestle a 15-minute match. By the time Inoki wins and beats Flair clean... They're on their feet cheering for this wrestling match. And it's, it's one of my favorite stories in all of wrestling because they walk into just the most bizarre, like, not even actively hostile crowd. Because a crowd that hates you, that's at least emotion. This is a crowd who doesn't really know what they're watching and doesn't really care. And Flair and Inoki go out there and they're like, no, 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 this is what you're watching and you're going to care. Yeah. And they do. That is awesome that's just so cool to me the fact that they go in there and they pull it off and one of the best quotes scott norton had main evented the b show and he he was talking about you know how weird it felt performed to almost total silence and he said that flair got back to the locker room after the match and he was just scott norton couldn't believe it and he was like that was incredible how did you do that you had them on their feet like that was that was the greatest thing i've ever seen and rick flair just says Man, I've been doing this for a long time, <laughs> and like, it's just—I I know we talk about a lot of dumb and bad wrestling stuff on right. the show, and this whole trip has just been absolutely insane. But the fact that, like, no matter who you are or where you're from, there's this part of your lizard brain that can react to pro wrestling yeah. when it's done by two of the greatest of all time. It's just—it's one of my favorite things, like one of my favorite wrestling stories, and I, I wish. It was easier to find this match. What what happened was WCW aired parts of this show as their own pay-per-view about a month after the fact right? called Collision in Korea. But not that many people bought it because it wasn't connected to any real storylines. It was basically just an exhibition. And a lot of, like, when they aired it, they were piping in crowd noise and kind of making up a story as they went along. Right. So it's hard to say, like, just, how great of a reaction they got. But the fact that everyone they interview says, no, they really won this people over. They clearly did something. And I wish it was easier to find, like, tapes of it. it basically, this is one of the few WCW pay-per-views that's not on the network because it was, like, a New Japan event featuring WCW. Yeah, and I think yeah. it might actually be on New Japan World. At least oh, I should look. It. But the, the full show is on YouTube now. But, again, it's the WCW cut. And you can't really trust what you're hearing from the crowd. And I would, I would pay a lot of money to see, like, unedited footage of this show and just see how well they really did. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But at any rate, this is one of the few stories that has, like, almost a happy ending in terms of, like, pro wrestling and just how well they pulled it off. And I just think of the difference between, like, 
this and Crown Jewel, you know, and especially reading up on this this weekend, and the fact that, like, the idea wasn't to tank and do a bunch of dumb, stupid things that nobody would ever understand. They were like, no, we're going to really put on a show for these people. Like, they took it a lot more seriously, I think, in terms of being, like, ambassadors of wrestling and storytelling and, like, Western culture than WWE has ever done in Saudi Arabia because they weren't, like, telling a story in terms of, well, this is WrestleMania and this is the pinnacle of a lot of stuff, but they were trying to put on a good wrestling show. Mm-hmm. And they had good talent there. And for the most part, like, most of the matches went really well, especially that last one. Right. But at any rate, now they're, they're all just, they're just happy to be done. Ric Flair is happy to be done. He's ready to go home. And the next day, and this is my favorite part about the plane, they go back to the airport, and Scott Norton is like, they hadn't moved it. <laughs> like, we got off the plane, and then the pilots got off the plane and just left it there for a week. When we got back to the airport, it was in the exact same place it was when we got off. There was no, like, move it to the hangar. There was no move it to refuel. <laughs> they just, like, took the keys out and left right behind us and didn't touch it. Which, I know that's not as funny as the prop plane, like, on the surface of it. <laughs> but, the, like, that's the level of sophistication we're dealing with in this country. And as all these wrestlers are leaving, they're just like, of course. Like, uh, I don't know what I expected. They haven't refueled it. Right. There's dust on it. Like, I, oh, God, <laughs> please get us home. <laughs> So that was kind of, as they're all getting back on the plane, that, again, it's in the exact same spot it was when they left. Like, they just parked it at the end of the runway, and we're like, yep, this is good. (laughs) As they're getting on the plane, they hand Ric Flair a script, and they're like, here, we we need you to read this before you go. And Ric Flair looks at the script, and it's literally like, now that we've come to North Korea, we understand that they are totally the best country. And the United States is right to fear North Korea. And he's looking at it, and the cameras are rolling. And he's just like, I can't, I can't say any of this. Right. Or I'll go to prison. But if I don't say it, then I'll probably go to prison. And he just, he ends up, like he says in the interview, he's like, I still don't know what I said. I didn't read it, and like the words didn't come out in the order I meant it to. But I basically said something along the lines of, you know, we're really touched by the hospitality and we honor the great leader and the lessons that we learned here in North Korea will always be with us. But whatever he, he pulled right out of his butt. Right. right? Like on hey, the but if anyone could, it would be Ric Flair. And I would, dude, I would pay money to see that, just to see like the sweat <laughs> on his brow as he's like, I have to cut this promo so they let me go home. Right. And he gets, and apparently it works. Like, it was good enough. They were like, yeah, we'll take it. And, you know, you just picture him, like, walking up the plane and slamming the door shut, and they just book it out of there. And, like, <laughs> they are all so happy to be done. They get back to Tokyo, and, the fir- like, the first thing they do is they go find a McDonald's because they've been eating, like, terrible, terrible food right. for the last week. And then Ric Flair says, listen, boys. We're going out. And Ric Flair <laughs> takes all of them out on the town. And they just go absolutely nuts because they pulled it off. And they're free and they're back home. And they thought, you know, it's just really funny because it's this monumental story now. And it's just super interesting to think about. Right. And at the time, it went exactly like 
you know, the North Koreans inviting Bill Clinton's little brother over for an international summit. To them, it was like the biggest, grandest thing in the world. And in America, everyone went, huh, that's kind of weird. Right. And just went right on with their day. Yeah. Eric Bischoff got back to WCW and was like, you know, it's like a kid who's like sneaked out of the house and comes back home and knows his parents are going to be waiting up on him, basically. <laughs> like, he didn't ask anybody's permission. He just took half the roster and flew to North Korea. Yeah. And he gets back, and the people are just like, well, don't, yeah, don't do that again. <laughs> Probably, yeah, that was that's it. probably he a good idea. <laughs> he didn't get in trouble. He didn't get suspended. It was just, okay, well, get back to work, you idiot, and I'm glad nothing happened. But, like, <laughs> he just went right back to it, and that was that. Yeah. And nobody in Japan really cared that much. Inoki didn't get reelected. Like, it didn't work as a political stunt for him. It didn't open any doors in terms of international relations because nobody in America cares about pro wrestling. Even if they had done this in the Attitude Era, I'm not sure it would have made a ton of difference. Yeah. And in 1995, wrestling was not exactly, like, super trendy, you know? So nothing really happened at all after this, except for the fact that all of the wrestlers involved got a great story to tell out of it. But even then, like, they really don't. It's an interesting story to us, but, like, Eric Bischoff talked about this a little bit in terms of, like, the broader implications. He's like, Ric Flair could to this day like cut promos about how he was the main event of the biggest wrestling show on the planet in right. all of history. That's true. But that is true. Yeah. It's the highest but attended wrestling event ever. Yeah. Like, and that's like, nobody's ever going to break that record. I no. mean, it just seems impossible. Like, but I, he doesn't do it. And that was kind of Bischoff's point. He's like, that's how much Ric Flair hated that place. Right. And uncomfortable he was the entire time. And, you know, people are asking him questions about, you know, U.S. war crimes from World War II and Japanese war crimes right. from World War II. And he's just like, he's so out of his element and so freaked out by everything that happened. Like, I'm sure he takes a lot of pride in the fact that he put on such a good show, but, like, the, he's not proud of the fact that he went mm -hmm. at all. And there wasn't anything in terms of, like, like, I think a big reason people had beef with, um, the greatest Royal Rumble is WWE was literally airing their propaganda packages right. in the United States, and that left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths, and there was nothing quite that bad. But I'm going to close with this. This is my favorite part of the story. You know how, like, North Korea, they're kind of out of touch, right? Like, they very badly want the CNN writer who was on the trip talks about this a little bit. Like, they want so badly to get international recognition and like they want people to think they're cool which is actually exactly like WWE but <laughs> they don't really know how to do it right like they're a little bit tone deaf they do things like inviting Bill Clinton's little brother to North <laughs> Korea even though like the family of people in power isn't that big of a deal here right. especially like you know someone like that and they think okay well we need to get like some world renowned athletes here Let's get the pro wrestlers, because everyone in the Western world knows and loves wrestling. Yeah. No. <laughs> so anyway, a few months later, if you were in Seoul, South Korea, just, you know, minding your business, going about your day, you might see some leaflets falling to the ground. And I imagine this happens fairly frequently. You know, North Korea just tries to mess with you all the time. And sometimes they send you propaganda. And it's, you know, the impression I get is it's normally pretty crude and dumb, and, like, if you're actually living in the free world, it doesn't mean anything to you, but it's mostly 
it makes the North Koreans feel really good, right? <laughs> and it, you, you walk over and you pick up one of these leaflets, and what do you see but Antonio Inoki kicking the crap out of Ric Flair? <laughs> and the North Koreans are using it as propaganda and saying, this is what we're going to do to the Americans who are helping you, and you better ally yourselves with us, because we've got, <laughs> we're, we're the real power in this world. And they're literally using pro wrestling, like pictures of bloody and battered Ric Flair, <laughs> to prove their superiority. Uh. And I just, that's the funniest thing in the world to me. The fact that they try to use Ric Flair like the wrestling god, selling his heart out as like, yeah, this is what makes America weak. This is we're better than them. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine being a South Korean citizen who watches wrestling and picking that up one day? I mean, it would literally be like you know, like Hulk Hogan beating the Iron Sheik, and we take it over to Iran, and we're like, yeah. What do you guys think of this? <laughs> Get a load of that leg drop. That's right. It's right. Like it's but not like it's not even a real sport. Right. But, like at least like, you know, at least you know if you look at other times when stuff like this has happened, you look at like the uh, you know, the Berlin Olympics in like 33 yeah. or or you know, or even the Miracle on Ice or something like that. It's like at least those are real sports. <laughs> right. And I don't know like I don't know how many people in Korea knew that, but I guarantee you more people in South Korea knew that than in North Korea. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, I'm when sure. They saw it and they were like, oh, no, man, Ric Flair, you know, lost a predetermined wrestling match to Antonio Inoki. <laughs> we're, we're really screwed now. Like, it's not got- even like this was like in the early 80s when like no. wrestling was still kind of real for the majority no, 19- of at least people that watched wrestling. This is 95. Like- like, there are probably people in South Korea who could, like, watch WrestleMania on pay-per-view. Probably. This isn't... Right, exactly. <laughs> it's just the disconnect involved there and the fact that it's so laughably bad. That's my favorite part of this whole story. And just the idea of Ric Flair's pro wrestling match being used by these people, half, at least half of whom were like, well, yeah, we showed that arrogant American. <laughs> <laughs> that was their that was their <sighs> takeaway from it, and it's just it's very very funny that to them, it was the biggest like craziest thing in the world, and to us we're just like, man, remember that time Ric Flair almost died because he was <laughs> stupid and went to North Korea, <laughs> and that's it. Yeah. So oh, in a lot man. of ways, it was a better show than Crown Jewel, but. <laughs> It wasn't really better in well, terms okay, you know. but but th- this is the difference. WCW and Eric Bischoff had no idea what was going on. No. And so I mean, that, that's, that's the difference. That is, WWE knows, knows 100% what's going on. Right. Well, I guess they, that, well, that's one of the differences. They didn't go back. They didn't go back to North <laughs> after the first show. That's, that's very true. That's very like, true. No, we're not... And... Hulk Hogan went to this one, which is just that. That was a funny parallel for me. That, yeah, that's true. You know, he's like, oh, yeah, I'm there, brother. Let's do it. Like, oh, uh, <laughs> just, no. Here's the thing, though. Like, if Vince, asked, if Vince said, hey, look, we're going to Korea, Hulk Hogan would go to Korea now. <laughs> probably, yeah. He probably, yeah, probably would, yeah. <laughs> and I'm not going to lie. Like, I would watch it just because, like I said, I want to <laughs> see what the crowd reaction is genuinely like. But, like, it's never going to happen again, and it should. Probably not. Like, no, it shouldn't. It. But, you know, if we're in the mentality of let's just make all our mistakes at once, let's book everything horribly and bring back Hulk Hogan, 
Might as well. I mean, <laughs> yeah. You want to take the flack off you for Saudi Arabia? Go to Korea. <laughs> no one will care about the Saudi Arabia one anymore. <laughs> yep. Move. We'll move right on from that. Uh, that's yeah. a good point. So that's it. That's the end of the story. But I really enjoyed this one. And look up. If you just Google WCW North Korea, yeah, I was just the watching Sports it right now. article is one of the first things to come up, and it's really worth your read. Like, I can't do it all justice, just all the different things that happened, because I didn't cover all of them. Right, right. Yeah, I was just, just, I just pulled up the, the show, and I was watching some of that Ric Flair match just, just now. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, that, that's amazing. See, and I remember hearing something about them going to North Korea, but I had, I've, I didn't know anything about the show or anything. So that, that was a, that, that was, that was so much fun <laughs> hearing about. <Great. laughs> Good. Yeah. It's, it's wild to read about. And it's just simultaneously like one of the best and worst things that's ever happened in wrestling, <laughs> you know, sounds like it. And what? Yeah. Oh man. I'm really, I'm also really shocked at the, parallel between the North Korean regime and WWE that I just made that <laughs> that's more accurate than I meant for it to be. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Oh man, anyway, well, it's a little bit of a longer episode, but but oh, definitely yeah. worth it for sure. So that was that was a lot of fun. Great. Um I I enjoyed that a lot. So uh yeah, thanks you to everyone who listened to this. If you got through the whole thing, we really do appreciate it. And if you uh if you feel so inclined, please uh, go to iTunes, Behind the Gorilla, and uh, give us a rating. Um, again, it doesn't have to be good. Um, it can be, you know, bad, good, but Harris does have a stipulation. That's right. Look, if, you're, if you want to give us a three-star review, if you think this is just kind of fine, and we beander a little bit too much, and we don't do enough research for your liking, give us a three-star review. That's totally fine. Yeah. But you have to compare it to a three-star match that you've seen recently. That's the stipulation. So, you know, anybody can just mindlessly hate on something. Be, be better than that. Engage a little bit and say, you know what, this podcast is basically like the Trish and Lita versus Alicia Fox and Mickey James of podcasts. <laughs> like, it's, it's not Botchamania. It's not like Brie versus Nikki Bella five years ago, but it's fine. Yeah, that, that, that would mean a lot to us. It would also be, you know... And it's a lot more interesting to read about than if you're just going to be mean and not put any thought into it. So you're way more likely to get our attention and honestly our respect if you make a match out of it. That, that's all we ask. So please, please do that on iTunes. Uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter, it's at behind underscore gorilla. Post all the updates for all the shows, all the links to all the shows, all that stuff you can find on there. Our own um, Personal uh, thoughts are also on that Twitter page. Mine more so than Harris's, but sometimes Harris chimes in on there as well. Uh, so give us a follow there. We will definitely follow you back if you're a wrestling fan for sure. And, yeah, let uh, us know if Mark ruined Ronda's armbar for you. Yeah, yeah. Please, please let us know if I did do that. I do apologize. Um, and then you can follow me on Twitter at Marky Mark Brand and tell me all about how I ruined uh, the armbar. Or you can follow <laughs> Harris as well. Yeah, I'm at Harris Wilson. So I tweet about wrestling a lot more on my personal account, which I'm trying to do less of. A lot of it I'll end up retweeting through the Behind the Gorilla stream. But, you know, if you want to yell at me personally and tell me why the North Korea pay-per-view was the greatest thing that ever happened <laughs> and that should go back, like I'll be interested in hearing about that. So, yeah, Definitely. hit me up. 
So, uh, and then the uh, last plug, if you're into Batman, my other podcast is the Uncaped Crusaders Review, where me and my friend, um, me and my friend Ian, go through and watch and commentate on every Batman movie ever made. So the one out right now, we just watched Batman and Mr. Freeze Sub Zero and did our whole commentary track on that. So check that out on Twitter at Uncaped Review. You can follow us on Twitter. There's a link on the Behind the Grill Twitter page as well in the description or in the bio for that as well. And you can check that out. All podcast places, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, it's all over there. So, um, yeah, that'll uh, that'll be it for this week. Again, a little bit longer, but definitely well worth it. So we'll be back next week. I'll have the topic. I'll have to come up with something that'll uh, follow this. But uh, So that, that'll be a lot of fun. But um, we'll be right back here, same time, same station next week. So uh, I'm Mark. And I'm Harris. You guys have a good week. 